Well, hello there, and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. This is your host, Laura Camacho, and I'm super happy to have you here. Today is a great day. We're going to have another fabulous guest, and we're going to talk about humor and how you can use humor. It's not about how to compete with Tina Fey or Jerry Seinfeld, although we might get into that too, because we're actually talking to a comedian. If you're new to the Speak Up podcast, let me welcome you, especially, generally speaking, the people who listen to this podcast are extremely good looking and very clever. I just checked the statistics a little bit on this podcast, which I never has been going on since 2018. And I have never really checked much the statistics. And we have over a thousand people listening to this every week. So I am like blown away. I'm almost kind of speechless because I just found this out before we started recording. So I'm like, wow, that's a lot of people. So if you're new, welcome. This is where we have conversations with extremely interesting people. Most recently, we've had a luxury coach. We've had a reality television producer. Three weeks ago, it was an improv theater expert. Like we have extremely interesting people. And from these conversations, because I'm super curious and I'm also very to the point. So there's very little blah, 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 you know, just banter. It's just like, kind of like uh, an interrogation, but in a nice, a nice interrogation. So you learn how to communicate better, how to present your ideas in a way so that they are more sticky and how to connect with an audience. Most importantly, how to present yourself so you're not intimidated by anybody. You can just walk up to anybody, start a conversation, build a relationship. Not that you have to do that. We have a lot of very wonderful introverts on this, in this audience and Probably most of you would rank yourself as an ambivert, but we have a lot of introverts and I am one too. What is the thing about introverts? The thing about us is that we're more economical in our use of words. We simply just don't want to expend the energy to talk more than is necessary. But sometimes we sell ourselves short because of that. We don't think we think, oh, well, it's just not worth it, but it is worth it. So. That's what this podcast is about. If you haven't gotten your copy of the book, The Practical Guide to Effective Communication, now is a good time. Go to Amazon, get recognized for the value you already contribute. If you're a really solid communicator, go to chapter 11 right away. It's my favorite chapter. Chapter 12 is my second favorite chapter because it's about giving more engaging presentations. But it covers every topic in the book. And if you have someone in your life who's more early career, do them a favor, do them a solid, get them this book as soon as you can. Without further ado, I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest today, Kathy Klotz Guest. She's one of these people with a double last name. It's hyphenated. And she was a tech executive and she became a comedian. Like talk about a career pivot. So she's a speaker. She's a comedian. And she talks not only, you know, performs as a comedian, but she also talks about how to use humor to build trust and connection. She has her own podcast called Women Who Humor, which I haven't checked out, but it definitely sounds interesting. And she's located in San Jose, California. And she was actually recommended 
by a previous guest, Melissa Dinwiddie. That was the improv episode. That was three episodes ago. So that was probably 213. So we, we network here. Get in touch with me. Hello at Speak Up With Laura. The website is www.speakupwithlaura. So get in touch with us. All right. So let's meet Kathy. So Kathy Clotes guest, tell us. We are, there's a lot of tech execs listening to this. And okay. they, I'm sure they're wondering, how did you go from tech executive in a very, you know, let's make money mindset yeah. to comedian? How did that happen? A very, very obvious and probably in their face one shift at a time. So I was already working in tech and doing comedy at night. That was already, oh. I was parallel pathing. And I think what people might, realizes that it really is about when you yes and all parts of yourself and yes and comes from improv. It's it's really about when you say yes to who you are and start to bring those worlds together, you'll find that it makes both of your worlds better. So I was already doing comedy at night, five, six nights a week. I was doing stand-up, I was doing sketch, I was doing improv, I was doing sketch at Second City and writing and performing like almost every night. And then, you know, tech during the day and I would bring, it changed the way that I led, it changed the way that I showed up and I spoke and I tried things. So I was already bringing things into the workplace. So I, when people ask that question, it's such a great question. I really didn't go from tech executive comedian. I parallel path for many, many years. And then little by little, things sort of seeped into both worlds. I, there was no wall. Okay. So when you were, I don't know what you were, what, were you a project manager, program manager? I started out in product and then I moved over and I was comms and I was marketing and yes. So you're doing that and you're thinking, gosh, this is the most boring presentation I've ever heard that has to have gone through your mind. And are you like, hey, you know what would help you <laughs> would be, why don't we do some improv? Like, how did you start bringing that? It's this perspective, right? It's a way of looking at the world. How did you bring that into your work world? Well, I was always bringing my sense of humor. I was always bringing that humor and it wasn't always easy because it wasn't always welcome. Yes. I just talked to somebody about that today. She said, what if somebody gives me that ugly face? I said, you recommend your best therapist because they need it. They need it because they need it. They need it. However, we are not always kind tech and like any big corporation. I think sometimes we really forget the day-to-day -day human stuff and humor. Yes. Yeah, we forget it. We get all hung up on it. So I won't say it was always easy. And there was plenty of people who told me to rein it in, especially as a woman. And I know that, you know, everybody gets that. I think we also get the extra, the woman tax. <laughs> so I was already doing that. It wasn't such a like profound shift for me to go, oh, you know what would help here is humor. I already kind of was that person. As I started getting opportunities to speak internally, to leave product camps, to show product managers how to do things, people were like, oh my God, Kathy's funny and she makes people laugh and she's effective. So like, let's have her do it. So it was more, I started getting opportunities internally to like, hey, just do it. Just show people how to do it. And then when I started leading teams, I just made it okay for my team to just like, I know that the bigger corporate culture may not say, hey, let's sanction this. But you know what? In my team, you all can laugh and it's a good thing and we're doing it. We are doing it because I say it's okay. So I made sure that whenever I got a chance to do it, I put it in. And, I, and again, I want to be very clear. 
I can't say that everybody universally was like, yeah, you know, she's really smart and really funny. And we love smart, funny women. That's what tech leaders love. No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on, right? I mean, hello, woman in the world. It's not like that. There are always pockets are going to try to, you know, that this old narrative that it doesn't belong in business. And yet I would tell you, it is the thing that connected with people for me. It was the thing that bonded people to me. It was a thing that people were like, I like her. She says the truth and she says it in a fun way. And it was sort of my brand, my differentiation. And it wasn't easy. Okay. Yeah. I love that. We're not sugarcoating it. I saw on your LinkedIn profile, you have your picture with Mindy Kaling. How did that happen? I am an improviser. I'm a trained improviser. And I did many, many sketches in, in LA, stuff like that. So I think I'm probably a unique animal in that I doing comedy over here, my job here. And so my world brought me into different places. It brought me into LA sketch. It brought me into improvisation, all these different things. So I was speaking at an event and I was speaking about the power of improvisation. And Mindy Kaling was a guest speaker at, at the conference as well. And then I got presented with a humor award for trying to bring more fun to marketing. And from the stage, Mindy mentioned my name and then I got to meet her backstage and we talked and it was great. It was like a collision of both worlds. But I think it starts with just that mindset shift of, I don't live in two worlds. They should be together. They belong integrated. Yes. And everybody listening. So I know everybody listening has some sort of funny bone that when you're relaxed and when with your people, you say those things and you can bring that to work. Yes. And it's, it's legal. It's acceptable. <laughs> it's good for you. It's good for you. It's like you in a good way. Right. And the people who don't like it, there's something wrong with them. That's what you have to get. It is. And also I would say, you know, I have some compassion for that. Yes and no. Anybody right now who's in a tech executive, a corporate type, I feel you. I am that. I'm also a comedian. And I say this today because I know this is that we got sold a bag of goods that humor and laughter and all those things don't belong in business. And that's a bunch of garbage. I mean, it's false on many levels, because if you would go to the executive suite and you catch all the C people chatting, they're laughing their heads off. Oh my God. They're some of the like most ribald storytellers I've ever met in my life. And like Kathy says, like your humor, even if they don't get your joke, it's still okay. It's still okay. But I do have to say this, and this is really important. Okay. Humor is not equal to jokes. Oh, right. Yes, it is Let true. Very, very clear. As somebody who's done sketch and improv and stand up and I, you know, all the babies, I would say that by thinking it's just jokes and that we have to force funny, I think it's scary. It makes us, it makes it scarier than it needs yes, to be. Yes, yes. I think what humor really is to me is allowing yourself to be imperfect, to laugh, and to embrace your playfulness and to your embrace your levity. And I think that is a more I think doable, human, practical way to think about it because jokes may not fit the moment. I've met a lot of people in comedy. Some people are not good joke tellers, but they're great storytellers. So guess what? Do that. So however your levity shows up strong for you, do it. And I want to disabuse people because I think when we attach jokes to humor, it's scary unnecessarily. So let's not do that, folks. If jokes ain't your bag, do something else. Right. And that something else could be 
just a funny word. It could just, it's that thing that is inside of your head. Playfulness, pun, puns. Some people are puns. Some people are good at wit. Some people are good at storytelling and they're just amazing storytellers. It can be props. It can be just, the only thing I would really say is, you know, two things, watch the sarcasm and the self-deprecation. Watch those two things. They're not your friend when you overuse either of them. They are not. Yes. I personally got in trouble with sarcasm and it was taken totally the wrong way, which can happen with sarcasm. And the impression that I was giving was not at all the impression that I intended. I think what some people are afraid of is that if they're goofy or like unconventional in any way, that they'll be not serious enough, like they'll lose credibility. Of course. And I get that fear. I get that fear a lot. And I mean, look at me. (laughs) I don't look like a tech executive. I don't look like I went to Stanford and Berkeley and Second City. But guess what? I did all those things. So guess what? I know exactly that. And I'm here to say, yes, some people will buy into that because they bought into that narrative. But I'm telling you, if you hide that part of yourself, you are not connecting at a level that will serve you. And what I realized is that nobody comes up to me. I have never had any, a single person come up to me and say, I connect with you because I also went to Stanford or I connect (laughs) with you because... You're, you're a woman in tech. No, they come up to me and they're like, oh my God, I share that story. You made me laugh. They connected with me on the human stuff. And I promise you, will there be some people, this is the reality check, Laura, we're doing it. Some people will not get it and that's okay. But I swear to you, if you hide the very thing that makes you human and that makes people connect with you just to please other people, you are diminishing your light and the thing that could very well change relationships. Right. And so, that's going to sabotage you sooner or later. Yes, it will. Trust me, I've been there as a woman in the world <laughs> I mean, until I figured out why. Why do I have to live somebody else's version of what they think I should be doing? So we're not doing that. And you shouldn't either. You shouldn't. Right. Because they don't even know. Like they think they know. Just like when I started my business, I kept thinking that. Somebody was going to tell me exactly the blueprint because nobody knows because yeah. everybody's business. I mean, I know that most of you are not self-employed, although some of you I know have side gigs, side hustles. When you're growing your own thing or innovating in any way, like nobody really knows. So it's really fear. We're really all we've been talking about is don't be afraid to bring yourself, bring other interests, say things that are unexpected. I think that is the filet mignon of communication, uh, engaging an audience. And isn't that the secret to humor too? Like you say, you know, something expected and then something not expected and they go, whoa. Humor is made of a couple things and you're right. The secret sauce to humor is really two things. It's the ability to embrace the truth. Truth is funny because it's the truth. And you can't make that stuff up. It's funny. It's the truth. It's showing up imperfect and embracing our human imperfection. Guess what? You're not perfect. Everybody already knows. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody expects it. So stop doing that to yourself. And then third, you just hit it on the head, Laura. It's the element of surprise. We don't expect people to show up and embrace their imperfection or be vulnerable or to say the truth. And that's sad. 
We don't expect it. So when somebody comes up and says, hey, I know we have to have this really hard conversation, but before we start, can I get you started? Some coffee, some tea, a head start for the exits. Does anybody want to run now? (laughs) Nobody expects the truth. When you do that in such an awkward, disarming way of the truth of how you feel and we're all awkward and imperfect, people are like, yes. Yes, Because in that moment, you are relatable. You are fundamentally relatable and you've shifted expectations. I love that. Being relatable. Yes. So I want you to speak to our audience members who speak English as a second language because they come to me, Laura, I need to speak English perfectly. And I always say, have you spoken to an American citizen? (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, I have such respect respect for anybody who comes to America and learns English because English has a lot of irregular regularities and it's confusing. And so first of all, my hat's off to you. If you're learning English as a second language or a third language or a fourth language, you're already miles ahead of like most Americans. So (laughs) mad applause to you because you, you are crazy smart. And I mean it in a complimentary way. You are amazing. The second thing I would say is you don't have to be perfect. And I wish I could just sit everybody down and give everybody a hug. So here's my reality check. You can be smart. You can be funny. You can be all those things. And when you show up relatable and embrace your own imperfection, maybe your accent. I know there's people who want accent reduction. And I know I've had a lot of conversations around that. Don't think for one minute that being less than perfect counts you out of connecting with people. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. People love our foibles and our idiosyncrasies and our imperfections. And in fact, we are more likable and relatable to the average person when we show up and say, you know what? I know that I don't speak perfectly, but guess what? Most Americans don't either. (laughs) So you know what? We're alike. And if you use that to be build relatability, I honestly believe that is the most perfect and you're perfectly imperfect. And it is so That is what I'm trying to get people to understand is that humor, when you show up with that mindset, you are connecting at such a visceral, powerful level. Yes. Because too many of us think we have to be credible first. And I'm here to tell you it's backwards. What I've learned in my career on the comedy stage and in business is this, relatability first, credibility second. Oh my gosh. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. I want to repeat that. I'm going to use a sound effect. <laughs> Woo! That was so good. Relatability first, credibility second. Yes. And when you start off, like so many of us do, with all our long accomplishments, you're just putting people to sleep. Like literally nobody cares in that Nobody moment. cares. Nobody cares. I've made so many mistakes, but I've also done some things well. I feel like despite all these foibles and and failures, I've learned, I've taken risks. Comedy taught me, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be human. And the beautiful part I think about being human, Laura, is that if you show up human and ease up on yourself, it changes the way you treat everybody else. Ooh, that's another takeaway. It it changes the way you treat everybody else because I guess you you like you lower the bar for everybody because the people who are hard on other people are even much harder on themselves. 100%. If you're expecting perfection from yourself, guess what? You're probably a nightmare to deal with. (laughs) Or live with. (laughs) Live with. And I want to give people hugs. Some of this is not your fault. 
I think we've showed up in corporate America and been told that the only way to be taken serious is to be serious all the time. And that is the message we've gotten. And it is false. It is not true. And the only way people relate to us is when we show up in a real human capacity to see people. And I really believe this is the game changer is that you don't have to be super funny, but you have to be willing to show up imperfect. And if you do that, however it shows up for you, it's good enough. It's enough. I'm not here to make everybody a comedian. I know when I'm doing comedy on a stage, it's what I love to do, but I know not everybody wants to do that. That doesn't mean you can't show up with levity and lightheartedness and playfulness. You can do all those things. And so if you've gotten that message, I hear you, I feel you, it's not your fault. We have a chance to write a new narrative for ourselves and embrace our own humor. And I promise you, it's going to change the way people relate to you. And most of all, When you ease up on yourself, I fundamentally believe you shift the dynamics of how you show up. Mm -hmm. Which is you as a leader. And that's that's making a much more followable leader. You've made such a strong connection between telling the truth and humor. Mm. And it made me think of this, the role, the medieval court jester was the person who was able to speak truth to power without losing his head. Somebody can give you a funny look, but... Not only will other people relate to you better, but you will be more proud of yourself. And we have to be careful about the truth as we're talking about it, Laura. And I know you probably would totally ratify this. It's like, there's the truth that's like brutal and we don't need the brutal truth. I think what humor allows for is we can say the truth, but always remember that there's a person with feelings on the other end of that exchange. So truth in a way that holds empathy for the other person. Yes, but I want to want to clarify. But also, in a in a big company, that there can be a lot of ridiculousness that accumulates in the ecosystem. That's not one person. It's just the consequence of having such a complex organizational structure with so many people. I mean, it's just the price of doing business. It's just power. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yeah. That was true. And it's yeah. always going to be true because that's the way it is. It is. And we still have to, in the tradition of the Shakespearean wise fool, which is what you're channeling, like in King Lear, right? You're, you're, you're channeling the Shakespearean trope of the wise fool. Yes. However, the wise fool also still had to understand how to say it and heard. So humor is not me laughing at people. Humor is me laughing with people at our common humanity. So I think part of the fear is because we see people doing it wrong, but that's not most people. We have these outliers that are out there offending people because they don't understand how to do humor well, but that's not most people. Right. They generally lack self-awareness. They lack self-awareness. And the court jester was very smooth Mm -hmm. because he or she and there were women court jesters in France in the 1400s. That's what I discovered. Hello, Hello, ladies. That's right. They knew that their job was to say it in just the right way. Right. Tell us, is your book Stop Boring Me? Which, by the way, is a great title. I have an ebook called No More Boring Presentations. So we were clearly aligned in our thinking. Is that about humor? Tell us a little bit about your book. So the book is really the voice of your customer is stop boring me. And we all say it. We all say it to ourselves. And we all in our inner head, we want to be great. We don't go to a talk or read a book because we want to be bored. We really want it to be great. We want you to be great. 
we're rooting for everybody to just crack the boring code. So stop boring me is that voice of your customer, your audience going, oh, please, please let it be different. And what the book is really about is that it has ideas coming from improv and sketch and a little bit of stand-up on how you can be more creative and less boring in your communications, in your storytelling, in your products, and your ideas, and all that stuff, how we can show up more and bust boring. Boring is because of maybe fear, and we're going to have to crack the fear. And boring is a tax, though. It's a tax, and you're asking your audience to pay the tax. And they won't, because there's too much coming at them. Right. They don't have the mental capacity. The mental capacity. That's your problem. So boring is our job to fix. And it starts with, I think boring is a symptom of fear. We're afraid to be creative. We're afraid to try something new. And I want wanted to give people some ideas and some exercises to bring out their own creativity. It's filled with outlines and worksheets and creative exercises for people to bring out their own creative genius. Yes, everybody is inherently creative. Absolutely. And even the most engineer of the engineer, they're actually practicing creativity by coming up with the code to solve these super complex issues. I love that boring is a symptom of fear. (laughs) By the way, I once had a senior engineer after one of our sessions, he told me, oh, Laura, I thought the purpose of the presentation was to cram as much data in the 30 minutes as I possibly could. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, nope, that is yes. too much. It's too much. It's too much. And I think that's a really great example of like where the voice of, you know, stop boring me is to like pull back a little bit. And what do I know that's of most value to my audience? Right. Filtering yeah. for filtering your audience. Filtering yes. for your audience. Because if I tell them everything, then I'm leaving them to parse through. Well, I don't know what's relevant. So the tax has to be paid by us. If we do our job right, we'll be fun. We will be informative. We will be useful. Right, right. Helpful because you're the expert on that thing that you're presenting by definition. So you have to figure out what does my audience want? So then I can tell you that somebody's thinking, well, Kathy, you don't understand. I have a lot of different people in my audience. So what are you going to say to that person? Of course. And everybody has that ability to do that. And so I, I think Sabrina is really just a system and a set of real practical things that people can do. Anyone can do. Right. Just to get to what is it about your message that is most relevant to your audience? Why is it important? Why do they need to hear it? What is the easiest way that you can transfer that idea, right? And levity is a great mechanism for that. It's a wonderful mechanism. And when what I really love is that when I have worked with engineers, when you give them permission to be playful about their ideas, you just see them light up. And all of a sudden, it's the difference in I now get your message. You're accessible. Your ideas are accessible to me now versus me having to filter out the data dump of what I just heard. And so play with it. And, you know, your ideas take life and they have lift when you kind of fill them and infuse them with levity and playfulness. A lot of people are leaders in this. They're either leaders of teams or leaders of leaders. So you can bring that playfulness not only to your own messaging with your people, which that's going to help them relate to you more when they see you're not trying to impress them and show them how great you are because they don't really care about that. 
but also for you as the leader can model that for your people and, and even be a resource if somebody slaps their hand in some situation for, you know, quote unquote, not being serious enough. I think that's a, that's a real opportunity that a leader has. Would you agree? Or how, what, what do you have to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I'm all about, I'm mostly I work with leaders and then leaders bring me in and sometimes I work with their team. So I work with a lot of leaders and I get it. I'm, I'm an ex-corporate leader. The thing I think what great leaders understand is that it is about building trust. And we want more of teams. We're all about innovation today, right? Innovation is an imperative. If you don't innovate, you don't advance your business. Here's the truth, is that your teams won't innovate if they don't trust you. And if they wow. don't trust you, and if they don't trust you, guess what? They're not going to tell you they don't trust you because right. they don't trust you. <laughs> so, when you show up with a sense of humor and approachable what you're saying to your team is it's okay to make mistakes and be human here. Because if you have a leader who's serious all the time, never admits mistakes, you are subtly and probably unintentionally communicating to your team that they have to be perfect. And if that's the case, they're not going to take risks. I know this to be the case because I led teams for 17 years in tech. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. To the leaders that might be dubious, I have news for you. And trust is hard. I think sometimes, especially if you have people on your team who've been burned by previous leaders, they may have us look at you with a skeptical eye. And it doesn't happen overnight. But I, I encourage you that if you show up differently and you communicate by modeling, it's safe to be human here and imperfect. You change the way your team goes. I don't feel so scared if I make a mistake. You change your team. So leaders, you have an opportunity here. And I do work with many leaders. And I know, I get it. It is possible. It is a mindset shift. But it doesn't start with your team. It starts with the leader. Absolutely. It's just the, what you're doing and modeling, not what you're saying. Since we're speaking on leaders, and a lot of leaders are leading Gen Z, because Gen Zs are kind of new to the workforce. So what is your experience with that? I love Gen Zs because even more so than millennials, I think they really are ushering a change in mindset. They are all about, there is no wall between home and work. They want to be able to just be fluid and they want to be able to show up and give their ideas. And they want to have a say in, you know, how about this idea? How about that idea? And, you know, leaders cannot come in and act like, oh, well, you know, that person can't be a leader because they don't have gravitas. What a bunch of horse crap. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> That's the technical word for it. It's a technical word, right? Horse crap. Look at it. <laughs> and I think what they're having to realize is that younger generations want to have fun at work. They want to be more open. They expect you, dear leader, to be more transparent and open. And they're not going to put up with your, well, that's too, you're not serious enough. They won't put up with it. And I think it is ushering in an absolute change. This old militaristic command and control brand, uh, oh, yeah. which is what I came up in in Silicon Valley was the command control brand. That S don't work anymore. It does not work. I got news for you folks. Gen Z's not having it. So you're going to have to be more open. And I think this is a call to completely changing leadership. 
Yeah, but it doesn't mean that you're going to throw accountability out the window. No, 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 no. You still have to have accountable teams. You have to have metrics. You have to have reasonable metrics. You have to have ways to monitor work and all that stuff. And I get it. And you shouldn't throw those out. But we have to be adaptable about what leadership looks like. I mean, Gen Z doesn't even communicate the way that we communicate. And we got to stop telling Gen Z that the way that they communicate is unprofessional. Because guess what? The word professional has always been an evolution. Because I can remember when. I was younger and I was wearing a skirt. I remember having people tell me that that wasn't professional or I should put my hair up. Like all the other sexist, I'm just going to say misogynistic stuff that was said to women. And now people are like, no, we can't police what they wear all the time. Exactly. As long as it's professional and, you know, it's not full of holes. You know what I mean? It's professional. If people want to wear t-shirt and jeans, you and I know that leaders can show up in t-shirt and jeans and still be professional. We know this. Yeah. So we have to allow for the fact that what is professional and what is leadership like is an evolving thing. And I really need leaders to get over themselves just because somebody does not communicate like you do does not mean they are not brilliant. Exactly. I'm old enough to remember when wearing <laughs> pantyhose was considered like that was if you were a professional, you would wear hose. Well, I, I don't even when was the last time we even put on a pair of hose to, to, to soften Kathy's blow to <laughs> to sell it is like you're going to be an old fuddy duddy if you yeah. don't embrace this more open attitude. And who wants to be like Methuselah? old cranky guy who can't handle Gen Z. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. You're going to lose respect. You're going to lose a chance to connect with your team. Right. And you're going to lose good people. I think the war for talent is fierce, especially in tech. And so if you don't create that kind of environment that people want to be at, you're going to lose talent and you're going to lose innovation. You're going to lose. You're just going to lose. So leadership has to change. I think we have to throw gravitas out the window or at least revive it and give it a, a makeover. It needs more than Botox. It needs cosmetics. <laughs> because, because gravitas was used to keep women and people of color out of leadership. And I'm going to say it, and we're not going to soften that. So we're not going to shove that on Gen Z, our standard of what gravitas means, because that's an old script. I love that you're saying that. I mean, if somebody dies, then you can show up with gravitas because you're sad because you lost a person. But other than that, you just need to be real. I love that you brought them into the conversation. I don't think about them as much because I work so much with millennials. But anyway, this has been so fun, Kathy, and you've shared so many wisdom bombs And I think you've helped us reshift our thinking about humor is not you're going to go compete with Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling. But I think we all have, you know, when we're going through some of these very painful meetings or you're, you know, witnessing, like sometimes you can perceive this hypocrisy and that part of our thoughts that is just eye rolling that if you can come up with, you know, like a little funny way to say it, not criticizing necessarily someone, but just making a little observation about things or just be creative. And also just remember there's a human being on the other end of it. So as long as we're respecting people's dignity and humanity, it's okay to poke fun at yourself and our common, our common human frustrations. 
but always remember that there's the person on the other end. And if that is worth preserving that relationship, then use humor that lifts and laughing with people. And then I think your chances of going wrong are very low. I would agree. I would agree. So thank you so much. So if people want more of Kathy Clotes guest, where do you want them to find you? Well, you can go to keepingithuman.com and you can do that. You can also find me on LinkedIn and you can find me on Instagram at Clotes Guest. So I'm on a lot of the socials. I'm still on Twitter, but though I'm debating what to do there. I don't know. I admit I'm still there, but I don't know. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So we're going to have all this in the show notes and thank you so much. And to the audience, I will tell you, you're welcome. It is a good thing that you came today because you learned something and it was an interesting conversation with a fascinating person. And I look forward to the next time we get together. Have a good day, everyone.